This is Revelation chapter 22. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the Spirit and the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy in this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The Word of God. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to start this morning with a personal update. I try not to use the pulpit here, or this music stand, as Luke's personal sharing time. But this is relevant to what we're going to talk about this morning. So um, this week, our second son, Sammy was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes on Wednesday. And it turns out his pancreas just doesn't want to put out insulin anymore, right? So it's done. And so now you're looking at his new pancreas, along with my wife, Janet. Uh, So we went down to Children's Hospital in Denver, and we spent two full days learning the regime of counting carbs and insulin measurements and all the stuff we need to learn to help take care of his body and help it manage all of that sugar and all that stuff. Um, So uh, Sammy has been a total trooper. The best way, he's never felt bad through this whole thing. He never got sick. He just um, now gets poked more often than he used to. Uh, But the way that you guys can help him and honestly help our family too is just not to make a big deal of it at all. He's got some new gear out of the deal. He has this patch, an Iron Man superhero patch on the back of his arm that measures his Uh, blood sugar, and he's got a ninja belt with a little cell phone in it that beams that information to me and Janet, wherever we are. It's pretty fancy tech. 
Um, and he's got, uh, you know, he's got this army kit with his supplies in it that he carries everywhere. So um, he's pretty excited about the cell phone, and his brother's pretty jealous about the cell phone. So that's all good. That's all a good thing. Um, two reasons this matters for our time together this morning. First of all, we're going to take a break this week from the sermon series that we're marching through, Grace DNA, um, because it's turned out not to be a sermon writing week. And so I'm going to pull out something old that I've uh, preached on before. But second, I had to decide what to pull out. And as I was thinking about it, you know this as well as I know this. When these sort of big life events just drop in your lap, they're a gift from God in a certain way, because what they do is they put everything in perspective, don't they? Um, Sammy will regulate his insulin for the rest of his life. Um, This is sort of an inconvenience and stressful, especially at the beginning here for his parents. But in the grand scheme of things, we have so much to be thankful for. I mean, so much to be thankful for. And, um, And life really is so short. And so this is just one of those weeks where you get to realize those truths again in a fresh way. So the uncertainty of weeks like this help me remember that this isn't our home, right? That we're just passing through, we're journeying through, and we are on our way into eternity. And the, the amount of time that we're here on the, in this world is just a blip on the screen compared to how much time we will spend with Jesus. Um, and that he really is coming back soon. Just like we read in our passage, he really is coming soon. And when he does come back, um, he is going to make everything healthy and true and good and right, from little pancreases to war-torn nations to broken people. Jesus is coming soon to fix the world. So temporary news like this makes, temporary bad news, I should say, makes the eternal good news of the gospel even sweeter. And uncertainty and difficulty now makes the certainty and the hope of heaven feel even closer. And so this morning, I want to just invite you to join me in meditating on our future with Jesus, our story with Jesus, where it's going, where it'll end. Not just the future, though, but how that future changes our perspective about our present today. We're going to look at the final words of the Bible this morning from chapter 22 of Revelation we just read. Okay, admittedly, the book of Revelation is an interesting place to just airdrop into for one week. Okay, this, is a, this book has its difficulties, to be fair. I don't think those difficulties are worth staying away from it because this book is so rich and practical and relevant for our everyday lives. In fact, one of these years, we're just going to march through the book of Revelation in a sermon series because I really do think it shapes, it can shape our faith in profound ways. Um, But one simple reason it's good to drop into this book on occasion is the promise we just read in verse 7. We read, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, did you know that the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible with that explicit promise written in it? And it happens twice, at the very beginning and at the very end. It says, if you read this book, you will be blessed by it. It's the only place in the Bible that gives us that explicit promise from God. So we need to keep this book in mind. We need to read it, remember it, meditate on it. The main reason this letter was written to God's people then and now is to give us a more vibrant, living experience of Jesus and his kingdom. It's a blessing. It's an encouragement 
and it's a source of life for our faith. Eugene Peterson uh, is one of my go-to pastor guys. I love his book. He, he died a, a year or two ago, um, and he wrote this. I do not need or I do not read the Revelation to get additional information about the life of faith in Christ. I've read it all before in the Law, and the Prophets, in the Gospels, in the Epistles. Everything in this book can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. The Revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of the Gospel is already complete, revealed in Jesus Christ. There's nothing new to say on the subject, but there's a new way to say it. So he says, I read the Revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. Revelation is written to give us a vibrant, poetic, living picture of how good Jesus is to us, to his people. How gracious and loving and powerfully he's intervened in our world. In other words, Revelation gives us great, greater spiritual depth perception. Now, there's one thing I learned this week. It's I am no scientist, okay? I'm not a medical master. But from what I understand, the reason that you have two eyes is so that you can see the world in 3D, right? We, uh, we take in information, we take in vision from slightly different angles, and what that does is it gives us depth perception. Our eyes help us see the contours and the realities of the world we live in. If we just had the one view, we'd live in a flat world. We wouldn't see reality. Well, this book, Revelation, does the same thing for us spiritually. Is that right, Amy? We'll talk later. That's probably wrong. She's looking at me like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) All right, forget the uh, illustration if it doesn't help you. But what Revelation does is it gives us 3D spiritual depth perception, okay? It it paints pictures that are regularly paradoxical. They, They show us God in our lives from different angles to show us the whole truth. So in this book, we read things like Jesus is a lion and a lamb. Well, which is he? He's both. It's giving us a 3D reality of who he is for us. We read that heaven is the bride of Christ. It's also a bustling city. It's also a garden. It's also a cube. Well, are each of these things literally describing heaven? Probably not, but what they're doing is giving us a spiritual 3D reality of what we're hoping for. And it turns out the thing all of us need more than anything else, no matter what kind of week you've had, is a greater experience and a greater vision of the reality of who Jesus is for us. That, at the end of the day, is what we all need the most. And that's what this book gives us. So as we drop into the final chapter here of this great letter and the final words of the whole Bible, we see actually one of the main paradoxes of the Christian life highlighted here for us. The most common phrase we read in our passage just now as Jesus speaks to his church is this, Behold, I am coming soon. We read it four times. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the one who reigns as king, is on his way. He's coming. And he's coming very soon. Okay? His arrival is going to be a great intrusion of grace and justice and life in this world. It'll be beautiful. It'll be everything we've hoped for. And yet... Wasn't this letter written like before 100 AD when the Roman Empire was the reigning empire of the world? I mean, I'm again, not a, a pro-historian either, but I think that was a little while ago. Yeah? So which is it? Is he coming soon? Is he going to arrive imminently? Is he on his way? Is he near? Or 
does it seem like he's taking forever? How can both of these be true at the same time? I I mean, one of the most striking paradoxes is that Jesus can feel very far away and yet be very, very near to us all at once. And both are true. See, evil and wickedness can flourish in this world and the kingdom of God can flourish in this world at the very same time. It's how dark and light can exist at the very same time in the very same world. These are not logical contradictions. They're not mutually exclusive claims. These are facts that are both true about our spiritual reality. This is the real world, the 3D world we actually live in whether we see it or not. So the fact is, you and I live between these two times. We live between two worlds, as Tom just prayed about. Current heaven and earth is passing away. The new heavens and the new earth are arriving shortly. One is fading in and one is fading out. And we, if you're in Christ, if you're trusting in Christ, you carry a passport for both worlds. You have a foot in both worlds. Here's one way to think about it. You and I are wide awake at 4 a.m. in the history of the world, okay? One era is fading out like the night. Another is fading in like the dawn. And we happen to live our lives in this sort of blending, messy middle at 4 a.m. in the history of the world. The the morning is so close we can feel it. The, The sun's just over the horizon The haze of its light and its warmth can be seen and felt if you know what you're looking for, but it's still dark, too, and it's still night. Throughout the Bible, Jesus tells us who he is many times um, at various places. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection of life. I am the light of the world. I am your great high priest. Well, in this passage, in the final page of the Bible, we get his final self-revelation about himself. The last thing he wants us to know about who he is before we close the book and finish reading it, okay? And in verse 16, this is what he says. The final self-revelation of Jesus. I am the bright morning star. Why in the world would that be the last thing he wants ringing in our ears as we close the Bible and finish everything he's told us about himself. One author who knows more about stars than me put it like this. The morning star often appears between two and three at night when the darkness is complete and the faintest sign of morning is not yet visible. So small it threatens to vanish. The star seems unable to vanquish the overpowering darkness. And yet, when you see the morning star, you know the night has been defeated. For the morning star pulls the morning in behind it just as certainly as Jesus pulls the kingdom in behind him. We live at 4 a.m., okay? In some ways, nothing has changed. Our world is still dark. Evil still seems to reign supreme. The tug of sin and self-centeredness in our hearts doesn't seem to let up at all. Old habits don't die. It feels like anything but a sunrise. Life doesn't feel clean or fair. It's not clear what we should do most of the time. We're just sort of trying to make it, right? Just trying to make it. Certainty about spiritual things seems out of reach. The reality of Jesus' resurrection seems very uncertain. But in another way, everything has changed. So in one way, nothing has changed. It seems like it. In another way, everything has changed when the morning star has actually risen in the sky. 
We know the night is over. The world's darkest hour, um, at the world's darkest hour, Jesus rose from death, and he, right now he reigns as the king in heaven over all things. And he promises he will pull the kingdom of light in behind him, and that he'll do that very, very soon. That's 3D spiritual sight. That's living in reality, trying to figure out how to live with both of those truths on the forefront of our mind is living the Christian life. This final chapter of the Bible shows us when we live. It's on the brink of dawn, the brink of the arrival of a new kingdom. It shows us who our champion is. Jesus, our bright morning star, who who not only conquered evil and death, but, I mean, he conquered the night, he conquered the darkness, and he is pulling morning in behind him. And so, how are we called to live in this in-between time that we find ourselves in. We go about our days doing whatever we do, right? Hammering away at work, slogging through tough days with small kids at home, going to class, figuring out what to do with our future, retiring. Whatever it is that makes up our days, you happen to be awake at 4 a.m. Jesus is risen, but it's still dark. Now what? How should that certain future change the way we live today? That's the question I want to spend the last little bit of our time addressing. Three things I want to briefly point out from this passage. First thing, John calls us to cling to the word of life for dear life. Look at verses 7 and 10 again. He writes, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Then in verse 10, he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. See, what John is doing is he's drawing a line of connection for us here. He's saying it's exactly because Jesus is coming soon, he's arriving soon, that, um, that, that the Bible, this word of God, his love letter to his people should loom so large in our lives, right? John hears the angel say, don't seal it up, keep it open, hear it, read it, know it, gnaw on it, meditate on it, take it in. This is the way the psalmist put it in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Now, I'll just speak for myself here for a moment. I'm not going to put anything on you, but if you relate, you can come and join me on this one. Um, I I almost never think of the Bible that way, okay? Uh, More to be desired than much fine gold. I mean, in some ways, it's pretty much my job to read the Bible and to teach the Bible and I still, my heart still almost always wants the gold, right? I mean, I, I'd rather take a lot of things before I go to the Bible first. When, when I lack refreshment, I don't want the Bible first. I want a bike ride or a vacation or just a Netflix series I can binge, right? When I lack joy, I want new stuff. I want toys. I want gear. I want ski pants. I don't know. When I lack wisdom, what I really want is someone to just tell me what to do outside of the walls of the Bible. I want more information than the Bible. Because I mean, this is not where I run first, like the psalmist is describing. 
But all of that, revival, wisdom, joy, enlightenment, the Bible says it's found here in the pages of an old book. And it just doesn't feel like enough. But remember, we live at 4 a.m., okay? And that should change how we think of the Bible. If this really is the source of our spiritual life, and if we sit on the brink of the arrival of Jesus' kingdom, then it makes all the sense in the world to be immersed in this book, right? In the announcement of that coming kingdom, in the description of that coming kingdom, and best of all, interacting and encountering the king of that coming kingdom who reveals himself to us in his word. Of course we would go here first if we really believed and if we really saw with 3D spiritual sight. See, it's something like rereading love letters from the person that, or rereading letters from the person that you're in love with when they've been away or abroad for a long time. Um, when you go back to reread them, you're looking for more and more hints and more and more insights from their experience um, away from you in case you missed one small detail. And the nearness of their arrival doesn't make you want to read those letters less, but more, because they're coming soon. And so is Jesus. So this is where our creator, savior, king meets us, comforts us, challenges us, and grows us up. It might not feel like anything's happening all the time, okay? Just to say that out loud, but it is. Just like you don't remember most of the meals you eat, but they still nourish you for life, you're not going to remember most of the sermons I or anybody else preaches, okay? And every time you open up the Bible, you're not going to be hit with a shockwave of emotional insight and, you know, explosive sort of revelation of truth. Like, it's just going to be normal, but it's feeding you, and it's cultivating a heart and a delight and a longing for the arrival of our king. Which brings us to the next way. This passage calls us to live between two worlds. John calls us to live in the kingdom of light even before the light arrives. Verse 11, let the evildoer still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. This is a strange verse when you just put it up on the screen by itself. Uh, Jesus is not commanding people to do evil here, all right? He is saying that as the end draws near, the division between the kingdom of the light and the kingdom of the darkness will grow more and more stark. This verse is not instructing wickedness. What it is, it's a call to be countercultural in a dark world. Uh, Be holy now, he's saying, because the kingdom of holiness is arriving very, very soon. Uh, Don't just spend your time and your money and your energy being on the cutting edge of this culture, it's saying. Be on the cutting edge of the culture that is going to define reality forever, into eternity, where everything is heading. Reflect the character of your king now, because he's just around the corner, and soon his character will infuse everything. We live at 4 a.m., The night's over, it doesn't look like it, but the morning star has risen. So he's saying, don't worry about the culture of the dark. The opinions, the values, the current world that we live in, it's so easy for it to sort of consume all of our space, right? All of our margin. And he's saying, no, no, let let the world be the world. You be holy because I'm holy and I'm coming soon. I think when, it, when he arrives, all of us are going to be shocked. We cared so much about the things we care for now. I mean, we're going to feel ridiculous. We're going to feel absurd that we are this concerned with the culture of the night. 
practically, what does that even mean to inhabit the kingdom of the light? I think what it means is living in obedience to God's call, um, even when it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in a dark world. Okay, so a couple examples. Jesus says, it's better to give than receive. I think that doesn't make any sense, and I don't see that paying off very well for me here in the dark. And he says, no, no, trust me. It's the way I built the world to work. And when the sun shines brightly, it'll all make sense. So start living that way now. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Lay down your rights for your enemy. Be the minor character in someone else's story, like we talked about last week. And I think there's only loss that way. If I did that, who's looking out for me, right? If I'm the minor character, who makes me the major character? And Jesus says, I'm looking out for you, and you will see with blazing clarity when the sun rises just how much I love you and I've given myself for you, and you will be so ready to receive that love. You are so safe in my love. Live as if the future were already here and, the long, and your longing for the future will grow. Do you see how that works? When you live as children of the light, we will want his kingdom to arrive more and more. He, he, will, he will grow hope and expectation in our hearts. Feast on the word. Live as children in the light. Last one before we close. Share your water. As the kingdom of Jesus gets inside you and changes you from the inside, it actually makes us a gift to other people. So in this way, heaven's a lot like Elka-Seltzer, okay? Hang with me on this one. So what happens when you drop Elka-Seltzer into a plain old cup of water is what? Plain old water turns into medicine, doesn't it? Plain old water that wasn't going to do anything except hydrate you is now actually going to heal you. And when heaven gets dropped into the hearts of plain old people, normal people like you and me, something happens and we actually begin to become a source of health and medicine and hope and life for those around us. Look at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is an interesting verse. The Holy Spirit, it begins with the Holy Spirit and the church praying together for Jesus to come. They're praying for Jesus' arrival and all of his resurrection glory. That's what this chapter is about. The Spirit is helping us pray for the kingdom of light to arrive. But then, when we keep reading, our Holy Spirit-enabled prayer to Jesus turns into an invitation for those who are thirsty to come and drink deeply from what's offered from Jesus. So it's a prayer to God that becomes an invitation to the thirsty. That's fascinating. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, friends, to the Lord Jesus. He will satisfy your thirst. The evangelistic and sort of social justice implications of just that verse are extensive. I mean, the Bible never tells Christians to hole up and just wait in safety for the arrival of Jesus so that we can make it through this hard, dark world. Actually, the opposite. Since we know with certainty he's coming to take his people home, we have the freedom to sort of just spend it all on extending that love to other people. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If you read the history, or if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. 
The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get neither. Only C.S. Lewis could put it like that, right? People around us are thirsty. They're thirsty. The people we work with are thirsty. The people we ski with and fish with and run with and ride with, they're thirsty. Those of us in this room are thirsty. I am thirsty. We thirst for peace and wholeness, rest from the burdens of life. We're thirsty for someone to tell us we're okay and valued and meaningful. And it's Jesus that satisfies all of those heart thirsts. It's Jesus who's coming close even now. So the last thing we see here is a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, turning into an invitation to those around us. Come and receive the Lord Jesus, both at the same time and the one because of the other. All of us live on the brink of a new kingdom. Just about to break in, but just out of sight, but so close at hand. Our hero, the one who has achieved access for us into the family of God, who forgives us and makes us whole, our champion, already shines as the resurrected Jesus, the bright morning star. That one shining spot in the sky changes everything. If you can see him and you can believe that it's true, that one star changes the orientation of our life. We know how the story ends. We know there's hope. It doesn't just change our future, but it changes our present too. So fix your eyes on Jesus, that one orienting point in what seems like a swirling world of dark and chaos, the author and perfecter of your faith. Consume his words of life. Live counterculturally as if they were true, because they are true. And take great risks of love for your friends and your neighbors. You live here and there at the same time. That's spiritual reality between two worlds, and it changes everything. The sun will rise soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, help us believe these words that you, uh, that you gave us this morning from Revelation 22. Help us trust that you really are on the brink of your arrival, that it could happen this afternoon before the Super Bowl even kicks off, um, and that you are so close and so active and so involved in our lives that, that it really does change everything about how we can live now. Help us trust you. Help us pray for your arrival, not only in our lives and in our hearts, but in the world, in the hearts of our friends. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.